0: All right. God, we do ask that uh, in the reading and preaching of your word, your spirit falls upon us today. Ah, it's getting to be late July. The most sultry part of summer is getting to be behind us, what we call the dog days. Here at Elmhurst CRC, we have uh, lived through these dog days of summer by walking for the last five weeks with this Old Testament character, a heroic guy named Caleb, whose name literally means the dog. This is our last week with him. In today's Bible reading, Caleb will now come to us as an older man, 85, but he still has a few tricks up his sleeve. Old dog, new tricks, as they say. It is not common in our American culture Uh, To picture old folks, older folks, as the prime examples of what human beings are meant to be, right? In advertising, in movies, we prefer our humans more tanned, more muscular, less wrinkly. Thank you very much. But that is not any of our future's. That's not how the Bible portrays a full human life, by the way. If you keep your eyes and your ears open today, you will hear and see what we can become as people when we walk through God, with God through all our years. We're going to read together from Joshua chapter 14, the book of Joshua. Now, the people of the tribe of Judah approached their leader Joshua And now Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the promised land, and I brought him back a report according to what was in my heart. But my fellow Israelites, who went up with me, the ten other spies, they made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however... I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, Caleb, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Though he is now well advanced in years, Caleb is here remembering and still has the fresh faith that he had as a younger man, as a 40-year-old. He remembers how he was willing, along with Joshua, to lean into God's promises and go for it when God said, "'Go and receive the land that I have promised you all.'" As Caleb begins to recollect these events, Those around him, I'm thinking, could surely feel a spiritual tingle going up their spine. Now, I've already told you that he's 85 when he begins talking here. Do you get the idea from Caleb's tone and enthusiasm that he is getting ready to go out to pasture? That he's getting ready to just fold up his tent? That he's getting ready to retire from leadership? No way. Caleb is not about to retire at age 85. He is getting ready to reload. If that's too rude or violent an image, I apologize. Perhaps he's getting ready to recommit or he's getting to refocus. He still has a bit of fight left in him at age 85. Last week, when Pastor Burt preached here, he dropped this amazing line from one of his former seminary professors. It was this, The mind of safety is the death of the church. The mind of safety, friends, is the death of the church. Caleb, at age 85, still does not have a mind for safety. And God's people are not going to shrink back as long as he is part of God's people. Not under my watch. Listen to what he says next. Now then, just as the Lord promised me all those years ago, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time of Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. 40 years of wandering through the desert and this guy still has all the pep. So here I am today. 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, this is quite something for an 85-year-old, right? When we first arrived here at Elmhurst CRC, we went on a church camping trip uh, to Turkey Creek a little south in Indiana uh Doug Groters and his family was there Doug's father who was more than 80 at the time was camping with us this guy in his tent Doug Roders' father would in his sleeping bag do 100 crunches before he even unzipped his sleeping bag and then later in the day he got out got on his bicycle and rode more than 40 hours and that was just like the warm up I was like who is this guy Like, this is what Caleb is like. It doesn't go this well for all of us, by the way. But this is the kind of vigorous guy Caleb is. Now then, Caleb says, after doing his hundred crunches and riding his bicycle, give me this hill country that the Lord promised to me on that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, these giant Uber people, and that their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me... I will drive them out, just as he said. Rather than retiring, Caleb is recommitting to the original mission, claim the promised land. And at age 85, he asked to be given the special privilege of taking on one last monumental challenge, driving out the giant Attakites out of the hill country, out of Hebron, one of the sweet spots of Israel, high ground where there are vineyards and springs and evergreens and new green growth year-round. Let me at it, Caleb says. Caleb refuses to settle down, but he wants to parlay his battle experience, his wisdom, his strength into even greater service for God. This is what, Lord willing, the second half of life is all about. A couple weeks ago, I shared a message about how in the first half of life, God calls us to put ourselves out there, to have a bold output of energy, to make a name, to test our strength. It's not always neat and tidy. The second half of life, when we are clearer and more focused about who we are and what God asks us to do, Oh, there is still energy to put out there. And Caleb is the first in line to do it, to face the giants. And Lord willing, Caleb says, I will drive them out. Now here in the United States of America, spiritually speaking, as a church, there are some giants in our land. Spiritual giants that loom on the horizon that would seek to conquer every North American's congregation's quest to grow spiritually deeper and wiser and numerically broader. Here's what is going on in our nation church attendance is declining. In 2007, 78% of Americans identified as Christians. That doesn't mean they are wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, but just enough to say, all things being equal, sure, I'm a Christian. Eight years later, in 2014, that number retracted 7%, nearly a percentage point a year. This is not good news for the church, friends. I mean, nearly a percentage point of year? If you trace this trend out 70 years, how many folks in America will identify themselves as Christians 70 years from now? Not many is the answer. And this is not slowing down, this is speeding up. According to this book, Growing Young, there is not a single church tradition, denomination, that is growing in the United States of America today. As someone who's a pastor and a Christian leader, this seems like a giant problem. Not only are congregations shrinking, there's another giant. Congregations are aging. 22% of our population is between the ages of 18 and 29. But in the church, only 10% of those who go to worship are between the ages of 18 and 29. As the church, we are beginning to look like the clientele of those who shop at Sears. Yeah, it's funny, until you go to Sears. (laughs) There are fewer and fewer of us, and the people who still go into the store are looking a little old. I don't mean to scare you too badly. I'm just trying to be clear. This is our country. This is the North American landscape, and there are giants in the land that would seek to defeat what we as a church are all about. When faced with his giants, the Anakites, Caleb said, let's take the land. He said this when he was 40 years old. He said the same thing when he was 85 we are facing these social and spiritual realities in the America of this age. And I would say to you, and I hope we could humbly say together, let's take the land. Lord willing, we will take the land. There are so many side issues to this, the giants in our land. There's, there's technology the fact that here we are in person every week, and that, I mean, children now are digital natives. They've known no other world except the online world. Might this be an opportunity for us as a church to embrace the best things about technology, but to be an island, an oasis, where people still know how to hug each other and shake hands and look each other deeply in the eye? And tell the truth to each other and speak words of blessing and affection to each other? I mean, wouldn't that be weird as we grow more digital that when people come in here, they're like, wow, what is it about these people? They actually like being together. That would be awesome. One of the things that's driving our young people away from the church is not just the church, but a general distrust of institutions. And who can blame them? I remember my father weeping over the resignation of Richard Nixon. He trusted him till the very end. I mean, one of my earliest memories. You can't trust the president. I mean, seriously, if you've grown up in the state of Illinois and have your ears open to American politics now, would you trust the leadership of a church? I wouldn't. Dang it. But what if our leadership in the body of Christ was a glowing light of openness and truth-telling and transparency and a listening ear? Don't you think in our world that will stick out more and more? In today's world, being judgmental and being evangelical and being Christian are almost synonymous If you say Christian in downtown New York City, people here, small-minded, judgmental. What if we as the people of God could be known for God's adopting spirit, for God's hospitality? One thing I love about our congregation, even now there are a couple adoptions, like literal adoptions, that are unfolding. As far as I can tell, this is a trend that is only increasing in our community, and I say... That is the Holy Spirit at work. I could go on and on. There are dozens more of side issues to this thing of giants being in the land, so many twists and turns, but will we, by God's grace, systematically and slowly take the kneecaps out of every one of these giants and leave a future that is better than the one that we experience in the church today. By God's grace, this is exactly what we are going to do. The passage in Joshua 14 ends this way. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the dog, and he gave him Hebron, the high country, as his inheritance. So... Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And then this little aside. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after the guy Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. And then the land had rest from war. What's hidden between the cracks of these final verses Is that what Caleb pledged to do? He actually went out there and did. At 85 years old, he drove out the Anakites, the giants, so much so that they called their place Kiriath Arba. He kicked them out of the land and gave it a new name, to which it is known today more than 3,000 years later. It's still called Hebron. Caleb did some awesome things even though he had this rough start in life. Born as an outsider, called the dog. He rises to leadership. He's one of two faithful spies. 45 years later, he is still taking the land and following his original marching orders. But maybe the greatest thing that he does is not even written here on the pages yet. You have to flip over the pages of your scripture and go from the book of Joshua into the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 1, there are some words about Caleb's daughter Axa. She is a bold and daring young woman who speaks her mind, knows exactly what to ask for, and she becomes the wife of a man named Othniel. So what? Othniel is the first of the judges that God raises up to shepherd and guide and pastor and love and steer his people into the future. Caleb passes on through his daughter and through his son-in-law a graceful blessing for generations to come. Our children are like arrows shot into a future world that we will never see. You know what I'm saying? Both our biological children and the folks that we coach and mentor. Our children are like arrows shot into a future world that we will never see or inhabit. And truly righteous people shoot with a steady bow, and as much so as in their power, they guide these arrows straight and true. Caleb does exactly this. Now, Jesus Christ, even 2,000 years later, was the ultimate example of this. He had no biological children. But here we are with billions of other people worshiping today. We are the children of God through Christ. Even 2,000 years later, because of Jesus' legacy, we can't stop thinking about him, can't stop talking about him, can't stop understanding the universe apart from him, Jesus has left a legacy of goodness and salvation for all his children. Jesus had to face the ultimate giants. Jesus took on death itself and all the powers of darkness and destruction and rose up on the third day, not just to claim the high ground of Hebron, but to bring Every atom and inch of this universe and what other universes might be out there, under his name, the name of love. Even today, we are covered by the legacy of Jesus, whose work never grows old, never fades, never goes out of season. We are all going to get old. Amen? (laughs) Every day, each one of us. And we are probably going to age less gracefully than Caleb, who is still able to get out there and physically go after it at age 85. The Bible does not promise we are all going to end up like that at age 85. Nowhere in there. But we can accomplish, Lord willing, in the later decades and days of our lives, a similar spiritual victory to what Caleb accomplished. You hear what I'm saying? You may not enjoy that kind of physical health, but by God's grace, if you live past age 40, God has something spiritually significant to gift into the world through you. I'm going to quote from William Shakespeare here, who knew about as much around human nature as anybody who has ever walked the earth. In his play, Henry V, King Henry says this to a French princess, Catherine, that he is courting. A good leg will fall. A straight back will stoop. A black beard will turn white. Oh, I feel that one. A curled pate will grow bald. A fair face, ladies, will wither. A beautiful full eye will wax hollow. But a good heart, my dear Kate, a good heart is the sun and the moon, or rather, the sun and not the moon, for it shines bright and never changes, but keeps his course truly A good heart, a wise heart, a redeemed heart, a righteous heart, the Bible says, and Shakespeare knows, never goes out of style. Did you hear the words that Lisa read earlier from Isaiah chapter 40? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, walk and never faint. This is a spiritual promise for God's people. Did you hear the words from Psalm 92 that we shared together that paint the people of God like an evergreen tree, fresh and green, transplanted into the courts, into the presence of God, where living water keeps us spiritually alive no matter what happens to our bones? This is what becoming an older person, an older Christian person, is all about. This congregation has existed for about 80 years. This is what becoming an older church is all about, passing good gifts into a future world that we may never see, shooting the righteousness that God has poured through these decades into Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church into a future world that we may never inhabit. An inheritance. A spiritual inheritance. Now, ironically, during this series, The Dog Days of Summer, uh, we have two little cats at our house. And one of our little cats has been very sick. Her kidneys have been failing. And just yesterday, uh, my wife Sarah and her daughter Anna had to take her to be put to sleep. So our cat died in the dog days of summer. Poor little cat. This cat's name was Bertie. I'm not looking for your sympathy, but what I want to mention is she was a little nine-pound cat. We had her for 11 years. She was born in a barn. She lived outdoors for a while. Then we moved to Chicago, and she had to become a fat indoor suburban cat. (laughs) (laughs) But this little nine-pound cat, through being... And she was not the cleverest of cats. She was kind of a stupid cat. But she was quite affectionate and very dear. And if I was ever down, she always knew, and she just would curl up in a little ball. And, you know, certain days I would walk through the door, and if she knew I needed a little extra attention, she would come trotting and be right there for me. But in her 11 years of life, this cat has left kind of a lovely legacy into our family. If a little nine-pound, very ignorant cat can do that for human beings, this is the point, if a cat has that potential, what might we, as the crowning zenith of God's created beasts, be able to do for a world that needs so much? And if we pool our collective resources and intellects and gifts and affection, like if we combine that all together and get it moving in the same direction, what kind of blessed arrows might we be able to shoot into a future world that we will never see? We need to take down some giants, friends. (laughs) And Lord willing, we will do it. We need to whack the kneecaps out of some of the forces that surround our society. But Lord willing, we will do it. What if 10 years from now, our congregation is both older and wiser and younger and energetic at the same time? That's what I see. What if 10 years from now, we as a congregation... Are spiritually deeper and more foolheartedly and courageous to do great deeds for God at the same time. By God's grace and Lord willing, that is exactly what we can become. We need those of us who are in the middle part of life. We need those of you who are older and wiser. Oh, we do and we especially, if you are between the ages of 5 and 20 years old sitting here today, we need you to be countercultural followers of Jesus Christ because the rest of your contemporaries in our country are going and running exactly in the opposite direction. We need you most of all. By God's grace, we will do this. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way 3,000 years ago you took this upstart outsider Caleb and somehow we don't know all what you did for him through him, but you raised him up to be a bold, courageous man of God from beginning to end. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus you have given us the ultimate example of how to live unreservedly for you, and to pass on a legacy of blessing for generations to come. And God, by your grace, help our congregation increasingly more and more to be exactly this for this town, for our young people, for the world that needs you more than ever. In Jesus' name, God, we pray. Amen. Church, uh, I'm going to invite the deacons forward in just a minute invite you to be generous with your tithes and offerings, the best of what God has given you, because God's been so generous to us. Uh, There is no way we're going to be able to take out the giants of the church without giants of society, without uh, sacrifice and support. So that's what we're doing this morning. Doug and the band are going to play a good song. invite you to...